Uh, I'll ask the question, and maybe you could respond. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? And question 44, uh, this is in reference to uh, the words we read, the Apostles' Creed. Why is there added, he descended into hell? reading tonight uh, from Genesis 37 and Genesis 50 from uh, a very wonderful story in that part of the Bible, part of the Joseph story. And as we come to God's Word, uh, let us pray. Gracious God, will you guide us tonight by your Word and by your Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Just reading parts of the Genesis story, the, the story of Joseph. I'll read this through very quickly and pick up on it as we look at aspects of it in relation to the Lord's Day questions, but also in relation to the title for today's final topic on the series, How to Deal with Pain, How to Deal with Pain. And tonight is How to Deal with Pain in Relationships. From Genesis 37. And uh, I'll just read these verses without announcing any more of them. They're also in the bulletin. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And skipping on. So when Joseph came to his brothers, this is later they see him uh, in the field, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern, the cistern that was empty, and there was no water in it. As they looked down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishlamites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And then, of course, there's a, a long fast forward in this story where Joseph ends up in Egypt and goes through all kinds of experiences and situations and hardships and difficulties, which we'll speak about briefly. And then it comes to the end of the story where these brothers who sold Joseph into slavery see Joseph again many, many years later, reading from chapter 50 and verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. 
I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him. Uh, these are the ones, of course, who put him in the well, who sold him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to do me harm. This is Joseph looking back. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke to them kindly. This is the word of the Lord. The one takeaway I'd like us all to hold on to in this sermon series, this teaching series on how to deal with pain, comes from Isaiah 61 and verse 3, where Jesus the Messiah is prophesied and his ministry is foretold to provide for them and those who grieve in Zion, and I pray this will be for each one of us dealing with any kind of pain, to provide for them who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. And I pray that will be uh, a theme verse for each one of us as we walk through this life and experience at times pain and difficulty as we trust in Jesus, the one who desires and gives us the oil of joy instead of mourning. As we look at this specific topic tonight, how to deal with pain in relationships, we'll be referring to Genesis, the Genesis story, which we just fast-forwarded through uh, very quickly. And in relation to the Heidelberg Catechism questions, of which this is one footnote passage of Scripture, we'll be looking at four things, I think, that we can learn from this Scripture story in Genesis about how to deal with pain in relationships. And I'm just going to go, I'm not even going to list them all, I'm just going to start with the very first one. And we have four of them, and we'll go fairly quickly through them. Number one, how to deal with pain in relationships, acknowledge its reality. Acknowledge the reality of pain in relationships. It's very clear from this story that relationships on this side of heaven can be and will often include painfulness and strife and difficulty. We see this in the Joseph story, how his brothers hated him, how his brothers were jealous of him, how they, were, uh, they sold him into slavery in the bottom of a well. They, they held grudges against him. We see difficulty and pain in the relationship between Joseph and his brothers at the beginning of this story. We see pain in the relationship between the brothers and the father, Jacob, who, the, whom, to whom the brothers lied about Joseph's fate by putting blood on his robe, bringing it back to him, telling them he was dead when he was not, was killed by a wild animal. We see pain, difficulty, and strife in the relationships between Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, and Joseph ends up in prison. In fact, the very, the whole, this whole story from Genesis 37 all the way to the end has this undergirding of this Tur turmoil that is kind of in these different relationships, and it feels like in some ways you can look at this story and look at Joseph's kind of whole family and say, what a mess. What a mess of relationships in that, in that family situation and in that situation that Joseph was living in. 
And it reminds me of a quote by one pastor. I don't know if it was a book or a title of a book. He said, you know, every family is normal until you get to know them. <laughs> Which is to say that, that pain in relationships is something that each one of us, that all of us will experience. It is a, a universal kind of experience in the world on this side of heaven. And we're very likely to encounter them if we have not yet already in fact, there was one author who's written a book about being a hospice worker, that is, working in a, in a hospital hospice situation where people are at the end of their lives, they're in palliative care. And she writes about how she experienced all kinds of relational pain coming to the forefront near the end of people's lives. She talks about a, a daughter who comes to a point of forgiveness of her mother who uh, was an alcoholic and struggled that with over a whole life with that in their family context. She writes about a, a son who, uh, who, whose, fa whose father was dying, and at the end of his father's life, there was forgiveness and reconciliation for his father for the, the divorce that the son felt he caused and the pain that he felt he caused in his family. She writes about a, a brother who held a, a grudge for 30 years, not talking to another brother in uh, their family. For 30 years held that grudge, and at the end, on their deathbed, came to a place of reconciliation. Acknowledge the reality of pain and strife in our relationships in this world, but remember that there is God God at work, God present. Number two, realize that pain in relationships can last a long time. I just said 30 years. Pain in relationships can last a long time, but that doesn't mean that God is inactive. Relationship pain can go on for, it feels like forever, but it doesn't mean we learn from this story in Genesis that God is inactive during that time. Joseph is about 17. Uh, when he's sold. If you're 17 here tonight, uh, remember that Joseph was about 17 when he was sold by his brothers and into the bottom of the well, and it looked like his life really didn't have much future. And he was sent to Egypt around 17, 18 years old, and he spent 13 years in prison in Egypt. That's a long time. He's he, he, so this is, he doesn't know what's going to happen with his life, how all this is going to unfold. This betrayal by his brothers is so painful. He has all this time in prison to think about it. At the age of about 30, he becomes the chief administrative officer of Egypt, this highest-ranking civil servant in Egypt. Pretty good job, pretty good pension, I'm sure. At age 40, Jacob's dad dies, and uh, he's been in Egypt already for 17 years. Add this all up like I did this week, and maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but about, for about 33 years, Joseph experienced a rift in the family relationships with him and his father, him and his brother, tie into that, him and Potiphar, and all of that, and this was a really long-lasting rift. Does anyone here have a 30-year rift with someone in their family? Well, I want us to remember that though these relationships can, pain can last a long time, we learn from this story that God is not inactive during this time. Joseph prays when he's in prison. Joseph is seeking God when he's in prison. He doesn't hear an answer. He, nothing is sorted out. Uh, things don't 
get straightened out in his life, but he certainly is seeking God. And what Joseph learns, I think what we learn from this story and this context is that it's so true that God's purpose is often hidden even though he's at work, right? God's purpose is often hidden even though he is at work. Joseph eventually sees God's purpose in everything, but it takes an awful long time. And sometimes when we're dealing with pain in relationships, we can, we can often assume that uh, that, that, that we know God's reasons. We often can assume that, 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 we, that, that, we, that we, we can kind of sort out the mind of God for allowing pain, strife, dip, difficulty, tensions in our relationships, and that that is ultimately a bad thing and lost time and nothing that can be, ever be redeemed. But Joseph learns, I think, that we, we, we can never... We can never mistrust God's ways. We can never undersell the Lord God Almighty. We can never uh, undermine the fact that God is able to take things and turn them uh, for the good that he wants to turn them for. We need to understand when we're in these long-term situations where relationships are painful and unresolved that it may be true that we do not know or understand why God is allowing these things to happen. But we also must trust in that time that God does have a purpose and that God is able to use it for his good and that God is not inactive but active and always working. The Anglican Evelyn Underhill in about 1925 in England, who was a wonderful spiritual director in the time, wrote many, many letters across uh, Europe and the UK to people. She said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. Number three, we learned from this story, remember that relationships are repairable. Relationships are repairable. Don't despair. Maybe you're experiencing or have experienced a, situation, a relationship in your family or elsewhere, maybe a workplace, some other where you're like, that is completely hopeless. There's no way that, that thing is done. We learned from this story that relationships are repairable. It does happen, and it can happen. And there's a few aspects of this I want us to remember. Number one, I want us to remember if you are in the situation, if we are ever in the situation of causing pain in a relationship, if we're ever in a situation of, of causing a relationship to break down by something we've said or by something that we've done, um, that can be hard to admit sometimes if that's, if that's us out there. Um, it's easier to go the other side of the coin. But if, it is, if, it is, if we ourselves, if we know that we are uh, the cause of a relationship breakdown, like the brothers, the brothers in the story. I mean, they, in some ways, well, in a lot of ways, they, they, they caused this relationship breakdown. They themselves, think about them, think how much time they had on the side of the story. They, it was a once-in-a-moment thing where they sold their little brother Joseph in a moment of great anger and difficulty and rage. Imagine how long they had to live with that regret. How long they had to live with the, the pain of that bad decision. How long they had to live with knowing that they had done this to their brother and to their father. I mean, it must have seemed to the brothers that the mistakes they made in that relationship were completely irreparable, that it was all lost. 
But the brothers learn, and I hope we learn, that God is able to take our mistakes, that God is able to take our misturns and turn them into something meaningful for his purposes, something beautiful even. Imagine, turn them into something even beautiful for his purposes. The pain in our life that we've caused, God is able to turn and take for his beautiful purposes of hope and reconciliation. So if you're one of the brothers tonight, don't despair. God is able, even in that situation. If you find yourself on the other side of the coin, on Joseph's side of the coin, in terms of a relationship being repairable, what did we learn from Joseph? Well, he's been mistreated pretty badly on, on, on one sort of brush of the paintbrush, a, a high level on this story. I mean, he's been put in the well, he's been stripped of his robe, his father's blessing. Uh, his brothers have sold him off into slavery, the 17-year-old. I'm out of here, abandoned, alienated, forgotten, lost, turned his back on by, he's felt rejected so badly by his own family, shunned almost by his own family. What does Joseph do when they finally meet him back in Egypt? His father's died and the brothers come to him with this incredible, well, hey, you know, dad said, <laughs> dad said, make sure you forgive. What does Joseph do? Joseph turns to them, and he forgives them. How hard is that sometimes? Joseph doesn't hold a grudge. How to deal with pain in relationships. Be ready to forgive. Be ready to turn and forgive. 70 times 7, Jesus says, to forgive in Luke chapter 17. Jesus on the cross even says, Father, forgive them. That hospice worker I mentioned earlier who wrote a book on watching families reconcile after years of pain and difficulty on people's deathbeds, she said she learned four things that were the most important things that people needed to learn in, 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 at the end of life in important situations when it comes to this. She said, you got to learn four things. Four things, you got to learn to say four things if you want to work through pain in relationships. Please forgive me. I forgive you, thank you, and I love you. Four things, to learn to say those things. Joseph learned to say them. Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. We're called, of course, and invited and welcomed as followers of Jesus to say, please forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, and I love you. Of course, we see in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 18, I won't turn to that right now, but we see our call, actually, as followers of Jesus to be ambassadors, agents of the ministry of reconciliation. The ultimate reconciliation in that chapter teaches us between God and people, uh, between humanity and God, us who have sinned and have fallen so short of God's perfect way that he has for us, and yet through Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to him. There is, there is intimacy and beauty and meaning restored to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And we are called, of course, to that same ministry of reconciliation. And we see that in this story, and we see it in the work of Jesus. Number four, last thing we can learn, I think, about how to deal with pain from this story 
in relationships. Are you still with me? Okay, almost there. Recognize that our pain appears differently looking back. So just realize that in relationships, our pain appears differently looking back. Look, Joseph was able, by the grace of God, to look back on the whole situation in chapter 50, verse 21. Uh, And what was he able to see? I mean, he was able to see, what does he say? 50, 21, 20. He says it was brothers looking back on 33 years, 33 years of all this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What is Joseph able to do looking back? What does he learn here? He's able to look back and see the purpose and hand of God. What is Joseph able to do? Joseph is able to trust God's love. Joseph is able to trust God's purpose. Joseph is able to trust God's intention and the power of God to transform even the most difficult situations and painful relationships for his good. Joseph could only see God's purpose looking back. And, and, and amazingly, Joseph saw the reasons in some, in some ways. He saw, he gave a reason here, the saving of many lives, and we don't have time to get into that, but Joseph saw God's purpose and some, some reasoning to the suffering and pain that he had been going through. And that's not always the case. <laughs> if you look at the book of Job, Job, Job seems to have no reasons whatsoever for the suffering and pain he went through. Joseph seems to have some. We don't always get the reason. But we're invited to look back and trust that God's hand has been at work through the pain, through the suffering, through the difficulty. Of course, we see this in Jesus Christ, who is also sold. Joseph, of course, points us forward to Jesus Christ, who was also sold for silver, who was rejected, who was forsaken, uh, who was put on a cross, who descended into hell. And what a, what an, in the moment of Jesus dying on the cross, imagine being one of his disciples, one of his followers. Imagine how, how, how dark that situation was. How hopeless in many ways the cross was for the disciples in that moment and in that time. But looking back on the cross, as we read the rest of the Bible, looking back on the cross, the first Christians saw the love of God displayed, the work of Christ accomplished to defeat the power of sin, to reconcile God, people to God. Looking back on the cross in all of its difficulty, suffering, darkness, and pain, looking back on the cross, it was the most wonderful gift to the world. But, but even then, those Christians were only able to see that. Looking back, our pain, our difficulty, even in the cross of Jesus, uh, looks differently, looks different when we look back. It's what the cross of Jesus does. It's able to redeem everything. One of the most challenging things in some relationships is the challenge of infertility in marriages. Uh, The Yale theologian Mirzlaf Wolf writes a few paragraphs about his own experience of infertility with his wife, and I want to share a paragraph with you, if I could, in the context of understanding pain and difficulty 
in our relationships and lives and the work of God. He writes, nine years of trying to have a child of our own was like having to drink bitter waters from a poisoned well month after month. He said, I would watch others and my joy as a father might be complete one day. But he says, during those nine years of infertility, I wasn't waiting for a child who stubbornly refused to come. That's what I thought at the time. I was waiting for the two boys I now have, Nathaniel and Aaron. I love them, and I want them in their uh, unsubstitutable, un, unsubstitutable particularity. <laughs> Not children in general, of which they happen to be exemplars. Then it dawned on me, Wolf writes, fertility would have robbed me of my boys. From my present vantage point, that would have been a disaster. The disaster of not having what I so passionately love. Infertility was the condition for the possibility of these two indescribable gifts. And understanding that changed my attitude toward infertility. Since it gave me what I now can't imagine living without. Poison was transmuted into a gift. God's strange gift. The pain of it remains, of course, but the poison is gone. You know, the fact of the matter as we deal with pain is that the cross of Jesus Christ, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we have the hope of all things being redeemed, all things being helped. How is it that we deal with pain? How is it that we deal with suffering as we come to a closure of this five-part series. What can we say about this? We've talked about dealing with pain in trials, when overwhelmed, in sickness, in despair, and now in relationships. How is it that we can deal with pain? Well, I think it's be summarized this way. Trust in his love. Trust in the love of Jesus. Trust in his Radical, transformative love, one we see displayed, among other things, on the cross. We need to be invited to trust that God is God, that, that, that he, in, he intends all things, is able to turn all things in our lives for his good and for his glory. He'll have his way in all things one day. There was a young man, um, Samuel Trevor Francis, in the 1800s in London, and he was searching in his life for various things, ended up becoming a brethren preacher and hymn writer. But he uh, writes about how he found himself one night by the River Thames at, in such a dark place that he was ready to try to end his life. He had such a, a pain deep down in his life that he was unable to deal with for many years. And he writes how he was standing there on the banks of the River Thames in London, thinking that his life was pretty much not worth living anymore, and that all he wanted was for the pain to be gone from his life any way that he could. And looking back a couple years later, he writes this hymn on that experience. He says, in that experience, he came to a realization of the vast love of Jesus that held him from that bridge and set him back on his way. 
And he writes this hymn about that experience, about the love of Jesus. Oh, that he's, I'll read one verse. It says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, in the current of his love, heading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious throne above. How do we deal with pain? in our lives? How do we deal with with pain in this time? Trust in the love of Jesus. Trust that his purposes are good. Trust that he will see you through. Trust that he's on your side. Trust that he died for you. And I'll end with the words of uh, Frederick Buechner, a deceased Presbyterian pastor. How to deal with pain. Remember that even the saddest things in life can become, once we've made peace with them, a source of wisdom and strength. Can we pray? Gracious Father, thank you that you work all things together for good for those that trust you. We want to trust you more. We wish to surrender our lives to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are perfectly trustworthy that your word is perfectly true, that your promises are absolutely certain, that things in this world can be so fleeting, but your love and mercy and grace are unending. And so I pray for each of us here tonight as we negotiate the joys and challenges of life, will you burn afresh, Lord, upon our minds and hearts and lives, the reality of your fierce, dangerous, consuming fire of love for us. And may we offer you our pain and trust you to do with it as you wish. For we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a moment to text any questions to me. There should be a cell phone number up there somewhere or it's on the bulletin and I'll, I'll, take, a, I'll take a run at any questions you may throw my way.
Amen. It's beautiful. Well, there's a couple of questions here. There may not be answers, but there's a few questions. Um, what can we say here? Okay, here's a question. What if the person who hurts you isn't sorry? How can the relationship be repaired if they don't think they did anything wrong? Well, that's a really great question. Um, well, I don't think the relationship can be fully repaired if they don't think they did anything wrong. Um, I think that's certainly a prerequisite to reconciliation between two parties. Um, I think there's also this situation of how do you live in that situation if someone who's hurt you and they don't think they've done anything wrong, what do you do with that relationship? I mean, Luke 17 uh, verse 3, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Um, I mean, there is this posture that, you know, we are living in as Christians uh, to be living with the posture of uh, uh, being open to forgive quite readily and quite easily. I don't know, it's almost like a, I'm thinking like, I don't know why I was thinking of this this week, but uh, like a, like, a, like a diving board out over a cliff and like that gift of forgiveness is kind of on the edge of the diving board and it's like, it's just teetering there, ready to go very, very, very quickly, very, very ready to go. Um, it's very difficult, if not impossible, reading Luke 17 to, to come to a place of forgiveness or reconciliation if, if there's no repentance on, on, on the side that, 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 that has done a lot of wrong. I, I think it's a very hard situation to be in. The the trick, I think, as a Christian is to not let one's heart become hardened and crystallized and not bear, uh, if possible, any kind of grudge against this person or situation, but to be, as we see Jesus here in, seven, in, in Luke 17, to be truly ready and to be living in that posture of the possibility um, of forgiveness. I think that it's a real burden you know, for the Christian, it's like this chicken or egg situation, you know, can I truly forgive someone if they don't say sorry? Uh, and that's a real heavy burden for us to, to be able to live in. And let me just see, I think there's another question very similar to that. What if the people who wrong you are family and they don't ask for forgiveness because they don't think they need it? Uh, the door to the conversation is shut after family members disregard your pain and it's something that has hurt you deeply and caused you to carry it inside and suffer in the long term. How do you deal with that? Well, thank you for that, that question. I think that's a very um, apropos question to this whole series and this whole story from Joseph. Well, how do you deal with it? Well, again, going back to Luke 17 and finishing that last thought, uh, you are waiting and you're praying for uh, them to come to you. Um, you are living in that difficult situation, maybe for a long time, of not living in the joy of full forgiveness. You're waiting for a time of reconciliation. And I think our hearts need to be cared for. We need to be attuned to our inner thoughts, our in inner spiritual life, and where that's headed and where that's going, so as not to allow our hearts to be hardened and crystallized and full of ungodly or unchristian messages towards that person. And I think that's maybe one of the elements of Christian living that so many of us struggle with. How do we maintain that posture of an open heart 
to forgive someone who, is lo- who has wronged us without them actually a- 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 admitting it. And I don't think, I think without them admitting it, we, we need to, we, we can't have true reconciliation. So what do we do? We pray. We pray for them. We pray, uh, we pray, we pray uh, for the situation. I think we, if possible, we try to maintain a relationship with them, uh, a relationship where, if it's possible, we're able to live out and carry out, even though they've wounded us, um, the humility of Christ, the love of Christ. And some of these situations I know are very deep and hard to do that. But I think it still is our call as we're able in a, in a safe environment to, to try to, um, uh, as Scripture says, be kind to another, forgive as Christ forgave you. Uh, you know, it's for us to, in those really difficult situations, through God's strength, through the help of others, to try to still embody the life of Christ toward them, as difficult as that is, to try to be a witness to the depth of God's love to them, even in that brutal situation. And you hear of extreme situations like the, um, I remember the, the shooting in the States at, at, was it a Quaker school in Pennsylvania? And, uh, you know, there was a mass shooting. Someone went in there. And um, at the funeral, at one of the funeral, I think for the, for the shooters, uh, some of the parents from that Quaker community, I believe it was, went to that funeral and actually spoke and said, I want your family to know, that is the family of the, of the person who took the lives of the Quaker community, I want you to know that, that, that we forgive you, that, that we want to live in forgiveness towards you, even though you took the lives of our children. Imagine saying that as, as a Christian to someone who's taken the life of, your, uh, of, of a child of yours. But, but, but that really, I think, embodies the radical, difficult, you know, counterintuitive kind of approach uh, that Jesus calls us today. So that takes a lot of prayer, a lot of tenderness to yourself, um, a, a, lot of, a lot of support to, to live in that way, uh, in those kind of situations, and longing for true reconciliation and healing. Finally, how do you, we've got to finish now, but how do you counsel someone who is not a Christian and doesn't seem to want to repair the rift in a family even after 30 years? That's twice now, 30 years. 30 years of being separated from a sibling. So if they're not a Christian, what do you say? Well, that's a hard one. Uh, I mean, there are objective longitudinal studies from places like Harvard and Yale that have tracked uh, people over a 20, 30-year period uh, and have tracked sort of happiness indicators. <laughs> and uh, I know one I read recently from Harvard actually gives the sociological data, if the person is a reasoner, that uh, people actually end up happier if they stay in long-term committed relationships. Uh, maybe that's a, a scientific reason you could argue with them on, but I think the fact of the matter is that um, uh, I think you would want to try to bring them to a place of surrendering their lives to Jesus, um, who died for them, who loved them, who wants to bring forgiveness to them. I wonder what happens in the human heart when we hold on to grudges for that period of time, and I would imagine and think there would be a need for deep healing in that person's life before they would be able to move to a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. Prayer, I think, I just say this again, in all these situations, do what we can to stay connected to, to, to these people and to stay a, a person of influence, a person of uh, being able to express the love of Christ 
in hopes that God will transform their heart and it's a work that in the end only God can do. Okay, thanks.